tuning into the 475th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, Eros, Daryl, D-Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you're listening, thank you for making me and the show part of your day, whether via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iRadio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcast, camera platform, you may be listening to me via being recorded from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, per the new usual, going to have a great podcast for you guys today, going to have David Drogemeyer on, he's the host of the Locked On Chargers podcast, we talk everything LA Chargers to, uh, do the L.A. Chargers really have fans? Justin Herbert, how great of a quarterback he is, how tough the AFC West will be. Uh, probably the toughest division in the NFL this year, uh, from Brandon Staley to the organization of the L.A. Chargers to really just the loaded AFC. Bengals, Chargers, Bills, everything, right? Um, and we talk about just Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, just the talent of the Chargers, how they've developed uh, to kind of put a contender around Justin Herbert. So I really appreciated David coming on. He was a great conversation. Uh, now, before we get to that, I'm going to give my shameless plug as always. First time listener, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below, specifically if you use Spotify, if everything timestamped, you can click on the timestamp and we'll send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to. Folks, it is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at NightTrain underscore Lane and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane. You will find it. I post two to five minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show outside the shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. If for some odd reason, right? If you want the pod, then don't say anything because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Cut up next out of the break on um, Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have David on the show. Cut up next out of the break on um, Barbershop Sports Talk. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right, folks, $1,000. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. I know. Great deal, right? You should take it right now. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with the same game parlay spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Great deal. Again. Should take it, folks. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, David Rogemeyer. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing really, really well. Thanks for reaching out. I am happy to be on your show today, man. So my first question for you, LA Chargers, obviously AFC, it's loaded. You have the Buffalo yeah. Bills. 
Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Cincinnati. Uh, what do the Chargers have to do to enter that tier? Well, I mean, first of all, the Chargers last year, you know, there was a lot of hype around them. You know, Justin Herbert could come into his second year, had a phenomenal season. But the defense really, really let them down. And, you know, the big part of that was the fact that they were giving up 140 rushing yards a game. So, to answer your question, what do they need to do to enter the AFC elite? It's the defense needs to match the greatness of the offense, and that starts up front, stopping the run, and I think the, the moves that the Chargers have made this offseason are going to allow them to do that. Why do you think the defense was so pedestrian last year? Because obviously, you know, they bring in Brandon Staley. He was the defensive coordinator for the Rams. And they have, like, what, the number one defense in the NFL? So you would think that would be a strength. So why do you kind of think there was a regression last year on the defensive side of the football? Yeah, well, so the previous defensive coordinator for the Chargers was Gus Bradley. And, you know, his defensive scheme was very, you know, let's, let's say simplistic. You know, it wasn't, there's not a whole lot of responsibilities, not a whole lot of different assignments that you need to figure out. Um, and there's not a whole lot of techniques that you need to master. Now, you enter Brandon Stanley's defense, and it's a completely different animal. It's a lot more sophisticated. It's a lot more difficult. There's a lot more different techniques that he expects his defensive players to be able to master. And in all you know, uh, seriousness, and I mean, you know, with, with all transparency here, the Chargers players, it took a lot longer for them to really understand the defense and be able to go out there and execute it um, flawlessly without having to think about it. And also, it comes down to the point that the Chargers and Brandon Stilley didn't really have the, the right type of players to be able to execute his defense at peak efficiency, like you saw when he was with the Rams, and he had a lot more players that were really, you know, kind of fit more perfectly with that scheme. And a large part of this offseason was overhauling this defense to make sure that there were players that already played in the system, already understood all of those techniques that they needed to go out there and utilize. And that's a common occurrence all throughout the Chargers defense from the, the back end safeties all the way to the defensive linemen. You have guys at every level that have experience in the defense and can go out there and execute the vision that Brandon Staley has put out there. Yeah, so it's interesting, right? You mentioned Gus Bradley. I mean... The Seattle scheme, right? It's kind of this simplistic yeah. corner on the left side, corner on the right side. You kind of, you know, kind of like the evolution of like the cover two. Uh, yeah. What do you think Brandon Staley, though, is going to do differently? Do you think it's just going to be more multiple? There's going to be a little bit more blitzing. Uh, maybe Derwin James is moving around a little bit more. They're going to have J.C. Jackson travel. What do you think kind of this hybrid defense looks like? Yeah, so, I mean, this defense this year, I think it's going to look a lot more aggressive because they brought in guys that can stop the run. That was the biggest issue for the Chargers last season. They were getting up 140 rushing yards a game. And when teams are able to run that efficiently, that effectively against you, it's really difficult for you to be able to get into your more exotic blitz packages because you're not in a lot of those third and long situations. You're in those third and four, third and three, third and two, and from an offensive perspective, there's a lot of different plays that they can go out there and execute to pick that up, and it really limits what you're able to do on the defensive side to get off the football field. I think now with guys like Austin, 
Austin Johnson was the bathroom just a day. And on early downs, really being able to stop the run and, and be able to get the Chargers into more of those third and long situations, you're going to be able to see guys like Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa and Darwin James pin their ears back and really get after the quarterback. And that's going to turn into more interceptions and more turnovers for a Chargers defense that could stop the run and could not take the ball away last year. Where would you put the Chargers right now in the AFC? I think if you're looking at talent-wise, I think they're just behind the Buffalo Bills as the most talented team in the AFC. I just think you look top to bottom on offense. They had a top-five offense last year, and that got better. You know, They added a right guard in the first round from, uh, excuse me, in Zion Johnson, who is an absolute animal. He's a very technically proficient pass protector and a road grader as a run blocker. They also picked up Gerald Everett from the, the Seahawks to come in and replace Jared Cook at tight end. Uh, but the, the big thing is the defense. I feel like the defense is going to be much improved. When you go out and get Cleo Mack and go get J.C. Jackson, you know, guys that can get after quarterback and take the football away. Uh, I think, you know, talent-wise, they are the second most talented team in the AFC and also, I think, the second most talented team in the NFL. How big of a gap would you say there is in terms of talent, let's say, from the Chargers looking up to the Bills and maybe, in your opinion, the Chiefs and the Bengals looking up to the Chargers. How would you say the discrepancy is in talent between all those teams? Yeah, so, I mean, I think with the Chargers and the Bills, like, they're, they're really right there. Uh, I mean, the Bills were, you know, only a few plays away from getting to the Super Bowl. You know, they, they have a lot of great talent and a lot of depth. And I think that's what separates the good teams from the great teams is the quality of depth that you have and your ability to mitigate those injuries that are inevitably going to come. You know, the NFL is a violent game. You know, you're, you're going to run into those situations where you're going to have to weather the storm. You're going to have to be able to bring guys in that can come in and, and do that confidently. I think for the Chiefs, they're really going to miss Tyreek Hill. And I think, you know, it's really hard to quantify that because Tyreek Hill bailed out Patrick Mahomes a lot. And I mean a lot. So there's a lot of that backyard football, you know, where he's able to scramble around by time and then chuck it up to Tyreek Hill. You know, him going to Miami is a massive, massive loss for Patrick Mahomes. I feel like it's going to take some time for them to really uh, find that offensive identity. The good thing for them is they have Andy Reid, who is a phenomenal head coach and an offensive mastermind. I think it will take some time. I don't think they're going to be as explosive on offense as they were the last couple of years. But, you know, they'll, they'll figure that out. Uh, the Chiefs, I think, are, are one of the primary, you know, teams that the Chargers are going to have to unseat. They've been the AFC West champs for the last five or six seasons in a row. And for the Chargers to be able to take that throne, they're going to have to beat the Chiefs. That's the first and, and primary objective for the Chargers this year. Supplant the Chiefs and then get into the dance and see what you can do from there. Yeah, Tyreek Hill is going to be a big loss for the Chiefs. There's not many guys in this league who can turn a two-yard pass into an eight-yard touchdown. <laughs> right. In a, in a flash. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tyreek's really special that way. See, my, my one thing about, and I guess my hesitancy with the Chargers is this. Uh, you are right. I do like everything about their team. But I do feel like they're missing kind of that elite 
alpha guy at the receiver position. I know they have uh, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. They're both very good. Keenan Allen, maybe he's top 10 French, top 10, top 15 for sure. But I'm talking about kind of like that next level, that Tyreek Hill, that Jamar Chase, that Justin Jefferson, that Devontae Adams, that guy that you can know that can just take over a game at any minute. Do you think that is something that eventually they will need to take that step, you know, in that hurdle in these high leverage games in the playoffs? I don't. I don't because the Chargers have a lot of different weapons. I mean, I think if you look at an offense that has one dominant guy, and that's you know that's a guy that can take over. I feel like the Chargers have several dominant guys that can take over a game. Keenan Allen's still an absolute monster on third down. You can't cover him. He's he's incredible off the line of scrimmage. His releases are are so quick. He literally puts out teaching tape. You have those receivers like Jamar Chase and the Justin Jeffersons that study Keenan Allen. Okay, Keenan Allen is still one of the best in the league. Mike Williams had a breakout year last year, over 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns. A guy who got a new, rewarded with a new contract. And then you got, a, you got a guy like Austin Eckler, who is one of the most effective and most dominant, scary offensive weapons in the league. A guy that is one of the best pass-catching running backs in the NFL. A guy who scored 20 touchdowns last season. I don't understand why people are sleeping on Austin Eckler. He literally tied Jonathan Taylor for the most touchdowns scored last season. So you got to cover Keenan Allen. You got to cover Mike Williams. You got to cover Austin Eckler. You got to worry about Jalen Dyson taking the top off the defense. And you got to worry about Austin Eckler running the ball and catching the ball. And also, you have a second year wide receiver in Joshua Palmer who is kind of a blend between Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, a guy who is really physical, runs really strong routes, has good, strong hands, does not draw passes, and a guy that's really good at the contested catch point as well. The Chargers have so many different weapons, it's really big to poison. I mean, it's, it's good to have a guy that's super dominant, but I think it's better to have several weapons that you all have to account for. How far off do you think or how far removed do you think the Chargers are from a team like the Broncos or the Raiders in the AFC West? Well, I mean, the Broncos and the Raiders, they both have new head coaches. You know, they have, you know, new offensive and defensive systems and schemes. And I think for the Broncos, they've been, you know, circling three quarterbacks left and right. You know, they've been through what's, what seems like 15 of them in the last you know, 10 years alone. And that's insane. You know, if you look at the Chargers, they went from Phil Rivers straight to Justin Herbert. You know, 16 years of Rivers, then to Justin Herbert. That kind of continuity at the quarterback position, that really separates the good teams from the great teams. And the Chargers last year were not a great team. You know, they were 9 and and 8. That's not going to get it done. They didn't make the playoffs. Obviously, they... You know, had that epic game against the Raiders that, you know, didn't turn out in their favor, but that's the difference. And then with the Raiders, you know, they have Josh McDaniels, who the first time he was a head coach, you know, just the last Denver, that was an unmitigated disaster. So, I mean, I think there's going to be, you know, of course, you learn, you grow up and get better, you learn from your mistakes, and, you know, I think he's a good offensive mind. I just don't know if I'm convinced that he's a CEO, right? Because that's what a head coach is of an NFL franchise. You're, you're the guy that makes all the decisions on the football field. You're the one that you're the figurehead. You're, you're the, you know, the, the PR guy. You're the face of the franchise. I'm not really convinced that he's going to be able to do that. Also, the Raiders offensive line is really suspect to me. Their offensive line, I don't think they have a lot of confidence in those guys. They have defense. They have some great pass rushers, 
But I, I don't like the corners, and I don't like the back end. I think that's really what separates. I think the Chargers have superior talent on the offensive line and in the back at back end in the secondary. Their corners and safeties are far superior. I think the Raiders are definitely going to score some points, but I think they're going to give up a lot of points too. Where would you rank the AFC West in terms of divisions in your time watching football? How tough that divisions are going to be this year? Oh, this is the absolute most difficult division in football, no question. I mean, you just you watch this offseason, which was one of the most insane, ludicrous offseasons that we have ever seen, uh, just with all the crazy amount of moves. You know, the Chargers trading for Khalil Mack, and then the Broncos trading for Russell Wilson, and really mortgaging their entire future to, to get him and bring him into the building. And then the Raiders obviously getting Devontae Adams and signing Chandler Jones. Like, that's the like Everyone is really going for it, except for the Chiefs. You know, the Chiefs didn't really make any of those major moves. <laughs> they didn't really make a lot of those major moves. I mean, I actually made more loss pieces than they did gain pieces. But, like I said before, they got Andy Reid and they got Patrick Mahomes, so they're going to be competitive. This division right here, all of these division games are going to be appointment television. It's going to be really, really good football. I think this year is going to be one of the best years of NFL football in the next, in the last 20 years. I think it's going to be incredible this year. So, Justin Herbert, uh, where would you rank him in terms of quarterbacks in the NFL right now? I think Justin Herbert is probably like a top five, top six quarterback in the NFL right now. I think what separates him is the fact that he hasn't quite gotten that success in the playoffs yet. I, I feel like that's where a lot of people are kind of waiting for Justin Herbert to, to change, you know, and put him a little bit higher. I think talent-wise, I don't think there's another quarterback other than Josh Allen that can make every single throw on the football field like Justin Herbert can. He's that kind of talented. He's, he's very cerebral, incredibly intelligent. He was an academic Heisman at Oregon. Um, so that intelligence translates to, to the NFL because when he makes mistakes, he doesn't make those mistakes twice. He learns from those mistakes, and he's gotten so much better at diag- diagnosing defenses and seeing what's in front of him. I think Justin Herbert, and, and I, I really hate the stigma out there about wins or a QB, you know, wins being a QB sack. Oh, you're preaching I, to the I choir. Further from the truth to me, I absolutely can't stand that. I think it's lazy analysis. The quarterbacks don't go out there and play the games themselves. You know, they have 52 other guys that they are trying to partner with to try to win football games. So I just can't stand it when people say that. Um, But unfortunately, in this league, it is about winning. And so when Justin Herbert takes the Chargers to the playoffs this year, then he is going to get the respect that he deserves. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it's a thing with fans and I think media too and just people in general when they discuss football. And I do think it's nauseating because it's just not – it's really just not true because it's like – and I always yeah. use this example. Like if you're going to like try to take a percentage of how much does a player correlate to one. Like right, like let's take tennis for example or boxing or MMA, like a one-on-one individual sport. I can make an argument like yeah. referees taking referees into account how you perform is like let's say 95% whether you win or lose how you individually perform right uh, yeah. if you're a quarterback or you know you could play extremely well 
I wouldn't say that's not nearly close to 95% guaranteed, though, that you're going to win because there's so many other factors that play in. Uh, well, look at the sacks of the quarterbacks that give up tw- uh, with their defense and give up 28 points or more, and look what their records are, and tell me that wins are a QB stat. That's right there what kind of is, is my, you know, my kind of my secret weapon when I'm talking about wins being a QB stat because every quarterback that has a defense that's that bad where you have to play Superman and you have to put the team on your back, their records are not positive. None of them. So that's why this is a team game. Your defense is incredibly important. You can't be out there being a liability and force your quarterback to do literally everything and expect to win football games. And it's like, you know, the old Stafford argument. It's like people thought Stafford sucked. And I'm like, he's been the same guy he's always been. Like, Matthew Stafford didn't suddenly get better. He's always been this good. He's always been a guy, you know, he'll throw for a lot. Yeah, he'll he'll turn it over. But that's always been who Matt Stafford is. He's just now with Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, Sean McVay, and the team's good. Yeah, so it's just, it, it is crazy. There's other guys like Jared Goff and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo who went in the QB wins department, and I don't think either of those guys are anywhere near top 15 QBs. I think they're dramatically. They got carried. They got carried. Yeah. Both of them got carried. Yeah. And, and yeah, and again, it doesn't mean I'm not saying they're bad players, but I mean, I think you can give no. average play at the position and you can win. Like, like it's. I think that's. Proven, and I, and I think that's something people hard to wrap their heads around. They're like, this team is good, so the QB must be really good. And it's like, no, no, one doesn't mean the other. I mean, if you have a good coach, good offensive line, good defense, receivers are always open. You're just saying, hey, make this three day. We're going to do play action every time. It's actually can, can become quite easy for some guys. Exactly, and I think that's what makes it really frustrating for me when I hear people say that. Like I said, I just feel like it's lazy analysis because there's so many other moving parts that go into this. There's so many different things, like you said, you know, that can aid a quarterback and make things a whole lot easier for them when they go out there and do their thing on the field. And I'll tell you this, Kyle Shanahan sure as hell is not asking uh, Jimmy Garoppolo to throw it on fourth and 20. Like, (laughs) they're looking at Justin Herbert and saying, hey, save us. And Justin Herbert can do it, and he did it. Uh, he did it repeatedly. I mean, that, in that Raiders game, what he did was you know, nothing short of amazing. You can't look at me and tell me after that game that Justin Herbert was the reason why you lost. That's just simply not true. He comes back uh, after being down by like three touchdowns and converts fourth down after fourth down after touchdown after touchdown. And, you know, the reason why they lose is because they give up a 20-yard run on third down. Which is still inexplicable to me, but also the reason why the Chargers went out there and made the kind of statements that they did addressing that run defense so emphatically this offseason. And I'll even say this about Herbert. Uh, I, I think when you know, you know with guys. Like, oh, yeah. when he first played, I think it might have been Tampa, uh, and I saw him play his <laughs> rookie year, and I was just like, you can yeah. immediately tell I was like, happy. like, yeah, the dude's like a top 15 quarterback, and then he's playing the Saints, and they're playing Drew Brees, and I'm like, he is a better football player than Drew Brees right now. I know Drew Brees, Hall of Famer, great. He's better than Drew Brees. And at the end of the year, I'm like, he's a top-ten quarterback. At the end of his rookie year, I'm like, he's a top-ten quarterback. Like, I mean, I don't need to see that he won. I wouldn't care if he made the playoffs or he didn't. I'm like, there are not ten dudes in the NFL who are better than him. (laughs) That's that's exactly right. And 
on, you watch a game that Justin Herbert starts, he's, there's probably three or four different throws out there that you go, there's no way any other quarterback in the league can make that type of throw consistently like Justin Herbert can. That's the type of skill, that's the it factor you're talking about. Um, the first game that he played is really funny against the Kansas City Chiefs. He literally had five minutes of notice. You know, uh, unfortunately, Tyrod Taylor got his lung punctured punctured by a team doctor when they were trying to give him an epidural, kind of give him some pain meds to cover up a rib injury that he was dealing with at the time. And, you know, that went awry, obviously, and Justin Herbert gets the start. And he goes out there and is literally seconds away from dethroning the then Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs after going out there and just falling out, going out there knocking out linebackers, you know, making throws and then running people over and then running into the end zone. Like, you know, at that moment, you're like, okay, this dude is definitely for real. Yeah, and then you watch uh, the Bills-Chiefs game and you see what Mahomes and Josh Allen are doing, and I'm like, Justin Herbert, in my opinion, he's the only other guy in this league that could do that, that can engage. I don't even think yeah. Aaron Rodgers at this point in his career. Maybe Aaron. I, I think Aaron could not do it the same yeah, way. I, I respect Aaron Rodgers a whole lot, man. That, that dude's been slinging it. You know, the accuracy, the, just the killer mentality for so many years. Like, the, the dude, I mean, obviously, hey, back-to-back MVP awards for him. Like, he's going to be a first battle Hall of Famer for sure. But if we're talking about the next crop of gunslingers, the guys that are the top guys, it's definitely Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and Patrick Mahomes. That's the top three in the NFL. And what you saw with those guys, like, dodging pressure, making crazy throws as they're being hit, like, I'm like, Justin Herbert can do all those things. So I'm just like, how could somebody not say he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL? It's because they say, oh, he hasn't won enough games, he's not that good. It's just, it's ridiculous to me. And when I when people say that, I'm always like, how many games did you need to watch Patrick Mahomes' first year starting before you knew he was one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL? <laughs> yeah, I mean, not, not many. Um, not many, because that, that dude can, can sling it, bro. I mean, being a, being a Chargers podcaster and you know, being an analyst and you know, ultimately being a fan, you know, you, you watch those guys and you're like, man, why does this, have, why does this guy have to be so damn good? <laughs> like, can, can we have somebody that's not you know, on God mode half the time? Uh, for Patrick Mahomes, like now this year, I think is really going to be the true litmus test. You know, you don't have the same crop or quality of weapons to, at your disposal this year, so I think he's going to have to really be a lot more creative and a lot more assertive with how he, you know, handles his offense this year. I'm curious to see how he's going to do because that top number is not getting lower. <laughs> yeah, no, that is that's absolutely true. Where do you think the the argument stands in terms of the Herbert versus Burrow debate? Because obviously they're intertwined, both yeah. in the same draft. Yeah, I mean, hey, Joe, Joe Burrow, you got to give him his respect. He, he helped, you know, get his team to the playoffs, and you know his defense carried him a little bit in the playoffs. Um, but you know, he, he made enough plays to be able to get, to get there and get to the Super Bowl. But I think if you just look at the raw statistics and the raw numbers, Justin Herbert had a statistically superior season to Joe Burrow last year. I mean, I don't, I don't think that you know you can really debate that. Um, and also, I think Joe Burrow gets a lot more press because you know he's showy, cool. He's got the personality. He's got the swagger that you like. And Justin Herbert is just not that type of dude. He's a very humble guy. He doesn't really talk a lot. 
Um, every time you hear him talk, it's really like something straight out of a PR handbook. He just, uh, you know, he's just a really nice, really kind of just humble dude. And I think, you know, as far as young quarterbacks go, uh, he's just not a guy that people gravitate to in that sense. You know, he's really quiet off the field because when he gets on the field, his play speaks very, very loud. When did you realize that the Chargers had something special in Herbert? Like, were you a fan of Herbert when he originally got drafted out of Oregon? Because I know some people were like, there was the whole Tua Herbert thing back then during the draft process. Where did you stand with all that? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll have to be here and be honest and say that I was on the Tua train at that moment. You know, just you know, looking at these two guys in college. And, and I think, honestly, for Justin Herbert, they never put Justin Herbert in the right position to use his And by the way, that's another example of why QB went... And by the way, that's another example of why wins aren't a QB stat, too, in Herbert in college. <laughs> yeah, I mean, excuse me, first of all, using three different systems, or excuse me, four different offensive systems, and went through several head coaches, you never had any continuity out there. And, you know, the last year with Mario Cristobal, it was this quick release, quick class, you know, you know, top of offense, which doesn't make any sense when you have a guy that can chuck it 75 yards down the football field with ease. You know, you're not utilizing the gifts that make Justin Herbert special. And yeah, you saw him run occasionally, and you know, he kind of did, he did that like in the Rose Bowl, you know, where he you know, ran for three touchdowns. But you never really got to see the version of Justin Herbert that you saw his rookie year in the NFL and college at all. So I think that's, that's why it was really tough to evaluate him because you never really got the chance to see. You only saw it, you know, in glimpses here and there. There was nothing consistent about his game that made you go, that, that guy's definitely got it. And Tua, obviously playing at Alabama, getting all of the press and, you know, winning championships and, you know, being, you know, in that, you know, kind of just NFL machine where, you know, they just crank out NFL players. I think all of that really kind of set your bias to say, well, Tua is going to be the better quarterback in the NFL. But we know, obviously, now that that, was, that is definitely not the case. Uh, we were team Tua, me and my partner both were. But, um, you know, we figured out probably at, at that first start when he was just throwing dimes that Justin Herbert was the real deal. Like, it just looks different, you know, coming out of his hand. And, you know, it looks different, you know, with the command, the coolness, the calm that Justin played with. You just saw the throws and you're like, okay, man, like, this looks different. And you can tell, you know, when someone's got that, you know, that it factor, you know, that X factor, whatever you want to call it, that superstar factor, it's pretty clear right away. Yeah, and I actually think from the pocket, I think he's probably the best pure thrower in the NFL, even better than Allen and Mahomes. And I think there's things that Allen and Mahomes do better at throwing, but I think it just in terms of like clean pot, just as a pure thrower, I think he's actually the best yeah. in the NFL. Like it's, it's insane. He throws with such good like velocity, and I think what one thing that he's learned um, from his his rookie year to now is kind of when to use the, the bazooka and when to kind of dial it back a little bit. That's the one thing. That you know he's gotten much better at. I think is learning what type of throws to use in what situations. Because like he, he's got an absolute laser. Like he, he can fit it into the smallest of windows. And I think that's what changes is he has that confidence. He knows he can make those thro- those type of throws. But it's about the layer throws. It's about the touch passes. It's about you know being able to put it where you need to do to keep it away from defenders. And I think that is another reason why Justin Herbert is ready to take 
that next step this year because he's got a better understanding of what type of throws to use in what situations. I think a lot of people would compare him to a Josh Allen, kind of given both their build and stature. Do you think yeah. something the Chargers could lean into is using him more on the QB design run game a little bit more? Yeah, that is something I, I've kind of I've, I've thought about, um, but I don't think the Chargers really want to put in in harm's way. You know, Justin Herbert is six six, probably like two thirty five. Josh Allen is all of two fifty. You know, <laughs> that that dude's built a little bit more. You know, he's a little bit thicker. Um, he he's a you know a guy that is more of a natural runner. And Justin, don't get me wrong, Justin Herbert can definitely do it. You know, we, we've seen it, uh, especially against the. Pittsburgh Steelers last year, where he ran wild all over them. Uh, that was a you know just a reminder for everyone to say, hey, I can run the football. I just can throw it a lot better than I can run it. So, uh, but yeah, for I mean Josh Allen, you know he's a phenomenal running uh, quarterback, and they really incorporated that to be a major part of their offense. I think they want for the Chargers, they want Justin Herbert to sling it. So I don't. They, they might run it a little bit more. And he did score three rushing touchdowns last year. Um, I don't know if you're going to see, you know, any five or six or seven touchdown seasons from Justin Herbert, at least rushing on the ground. Um, but if he does see an opportunity there, he's definitely going to take it. Um, but, yeah, I just think he's too valuable of a commodity to really put out there and, and run, you know, those QB runs or those options more than, you know, maybe once or twice a game. Do you think that's something you could see maybe them then leaning into a little bit more or leaning into during the playoffs? That's possible. I mean, I think you know the philosophy of the Chargers is they want to be able to play uh, and adjust their game to whoever their opponent is. So if their opponent has a liability against running quarterbacks, they want to be able to go out there and exploit that weakness. If there is a team that you know has a bad secondary, you know some corners that are weaker, then they want to be able to target those corners. If they want to, you have the, uh, a defense that can't stop the run. From a running back, you know, they want to have running backs that can be able to go out there and execute. They want to adjust and tailor their game plan specifically to each each opponent, and they want to have the ability and the capacity to be able to go out there and beat those teams the way they need to beat them. That sounds a little bit like the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, hey, uh, I mean, it's important to, to know your style of, of play. It's important to be able to go out there, but... I mean, hey, this is the NFL, and you can't go in there just with your approach and think that it's going to work cookie-cutter against every single opponent. It just doesn't work that way. These guys are professionals. They are game-planning to try to exploit your weaknesses. You would be a fool if you are not doing the same in kind. So did you find the whole Gus Bradley Seattle 3 scheme mundane? It was. Yeah, it was was very predictable. Um, I mean... It did a really good job of limiting, you know, some of those explosive plays, but also I think that it did really provide a lot of turnovers, and because there was obvious kind of soft spots in the zone that were present that could be exploited, I think with Brandon Staley's defense, it's a lot more multiple, you're going to see a lot more moving parts, you're going to see some different blitz packages, different pressures, different stunts, you're going to see Derwin James move all over the field, because that's the best use of his talents. Derwin James is one of the few positionless players in the NFL, a guy that can play back, can play in the box, can rush the quarterback, can take away, you know, your number one tight end. You know, he can do anything on the football field. So it would be 
you know, a disservice to him and the team if you didn't move him around and utilize him all over the football field instead of pigeonholing him into one single position. The, di- the difference between those two defenses is the multiplicity of, of those two defenses. Brandon Staley defense, a lot more things that you can accomplish, while the cover three style, Legion of Boom style from Gus Bradley is kind of, it is what it is. Yeah, and it's not, you know, to hate on the Seattle team because obviously, I mean, it was one of the greatest defenses ever. I'm sure people in Seattle would tell you differently. I'm sure, but uh, I think it's always uh, a thing, right? Like, I think it's just an interesting philosophy of coaching. I think if you have like the talent, you can run maybe more simplistic things. Like, it's a lot easier to say we're going to run one set. That's how we do it. When you have Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, Bobby Wagner, uh, Richard Sherman, and all these guys, Martellus Bennett, Cliff Averill. Like, it's 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 very easy to say like, hey. Yeah, Let, let's keep it simple, but maybe when you don't have, like, quite literally, like, five, six All-Pro Hall of Famers, uh, maybe we need to change things up, right, and p- change things up based off what's going on to put everybody in the best sh- situation so they can be successful, right? I mean, who wouldn't want to have that crop of those guys in their prime? My goodness, they were so <laughs> Yeah, just, at that point, just don't mess it up. <laughs> right, exactly. Just set it and forget it. Let them go out there and, and do their thing, and that's definitely what they did. So the load Justin Herbert had last year, he led the NFL in passing attempts, uh, obviously being a lot of third and long situations, even on fourth down a lot of the times we're like, hey, Justin, yeah. save us. That's probably yeah. not the way you want to live life as an NFL quarterback. It's nice. When you can have a guy who can make those special plays, but maybe sometimes this, let's take a little bit less off his plate. How do you think that looks this year with Herbert and the Chargers? How much more do you think things are going to be dialed back a little bit in terms of his workload? Yeah, I, I do think that's going to change a little bit because I feel like you know they're not going to be having to come from behind as much because I think they have a much better defense. So the offense is going to be able to be on the field and run the ball a little bit more. That was part of the reason why the Chargers went out there and they drafted a guy like Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M, the running back, as a guy who is a really good in-between-the-tackles runner, guys really good contact balance, good soft hands. Like This is a guy who's going to be a really nice compliment to Austin Eckler to be able to take some of those you know, inside carries that Isaiah Spiller is really more built to handle, and Austin Eckler really isn't. Austin Eckler can do it, and he's phenomenal at it, but... You want to be able to keep him fresh and keep him healthy throughout the entire season. And I think part of that is having some guys that can complement him and also not have such a regression when Austin Eckler needs a blow and needs a breather. We need guys that can get on the field and still be able to handle their business and be productive. So I think the Chargers are going to be able to run the ball more effectively this year. I think they're going to have more leads, and that's going to, be, that's going to mean less passing attempts for Justin Herbert. But I also think it's going to be a more efficient Justin Herbert. You might not see 5,000 passing yards, but I can still see, you know, 46, 4,700 with a, you know, 35 to 40 touchdowns, but less interceptions. I, I think you're going to see, you know, he had 15 interceptions last year. I think you can conceivably see that number go to around six or seven this year, you know, just because of all the things that I mentioned. What has been since you've been a Chargers fan? What's been your some of your favorite Chargers memories? Oh man, that's a really good question. Well, I've been a Chargers fan my entire life, you know, and I'm 30 years old. So anytime I kind of recognized what football was and 
that's probably, I don't know, five or six before I understood general concepts of what it was. Um, you know, going down, going down to the games, going to Qualcomm Stadium with my family and, and enjoying, you know, just being there with, with them, making memories. But as far as football is concerned, I remember, you know, back, I think it was, man, 2000, this must have been 2000 and I think 2010 or 2009, the Chargers were, I think, about like eight and eight. And they had a game where, and this was such a crazy scenario, they needed like three other teams to lose, right? And all of those things happened. You know, every one of those teams lost. And then they had to go beat a Chiefs team that was already, you know, locked up. They had a playoff spot. It was already kind of, you know, in stone. And... Eric Weddle, <laughs> Chargers uh, safety at the time, converted on a fourth down, <laughs> which was very controversial because, I mean, there's a couple different angles that made it look like he maybe didn't get there because he, he basically did this on a, on a punt attempt. He, he did a fake punt and he converted the first down, and they ended up winning that football game and getting into the playoffs um, in, in the most unlikely scenarios. I think that's one of them, and then Another one is the Chargers going twelve and four. You know, one of one of the last years that uh, Philip Rivers was the quarterback. You know, he was always one of my favorite players. A guy that if he's on your team, you love to root for. But if he's not on your team, you love to hate him. Uh, he's just that kind of a polarizing type of figure. But the Chargers had it that year going into the playoffs. You know, kind of getting their get back revenge from the the Ravens. To that year, that was one of the teams, one of the, those four losses that beat the brakes off the Chargers. It, it was ugly, um, and so the Chargers were able to, you know, see them again in the playoffs, devise a plan to be able to beat them and get that kind of revenge. Unfortunately, they get beat by the, the Patriots the year after, but I think those are two members that kind of stick in my mind as some really, really fun experiences of the Chargers event. How much regret do you have to let Drew Brees go? None. None at all. Yeah, because, I mean, in that situation, you got to understand, you, you draft, a, you know, you trade for Phil Rivers, you know, early on in that draft, you get several other guys, you know, in that trade as well. And Drew Brees had a hurt his shoulder. He injured his shoulder. And, you know, with shoulder injuries, you just never know how people are going to be able to return from that. And, you know, you have a, a young quarterback that's waiting waiting in the wings and are, are already kind of redshirted his freshman year. Uh, and so... For Drew Brees, you know, they just didn't know what version of Drew Brees was going to come back. Obviously, we know now, hindsight being twenty twenty, that it was a whole Hall of Fame type of career. And hey, there's no guarantee that he would have had that same level of success in San Diego with the Chargers that he did with Sean Payton in New Orleans. Um, because hey, you know, that might have been a perfect marriage for him. I, and you know, I don't regret that. Uh, I'm happy that I got to watch Drew Brees and root for Drew Brees from afar. Um, but hey, we're talking about two guys in Philip Rivers and Drew Brees that will be in the Hall of Fame someday. Do you think Philip Rivers gets unfairly talked about when people start talking about the best quarterbacks of his era, or the best quarterbacks of all time? Because, you know, it goes back to the QB's wins thing, right? Uh, he yeah. didn't win. And I don't know how you feel about the whole Eli Phillip debate, uh, but I think a lot of people would have it. You know, Ben, Eli, and then Phillip. I don't agree with that at all. And then the thing here is that Eli got carried to both of his championships. I mean, he made a couple of throws here and there, but he had the number one defense in the NFL pretty much both times. I mean, you take that defensive away, then I think you see a much different career for 
those rings away from Eli. And when you're talking about the careers of both of these players, stat-wise, I think Philip Rivers is like Dan Marino. Dan Marino, clearly one of the most gifted quarterbacks of his generation, but he never won the big one, right? And so that definitely tarnished a little bit of his legacy. It shouldn't, because Dan Marino was you know, inevitably great, but Philip Rivers is in that same boat because he never took the Chargers to the promised land and, and appeared in the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl. I think that's a, an easy reason for people to look at him and say, well, he just wasn't good enough. But obviously, like we've talked about, it's not all about that. And I do feel like Philip will get his, his, his just reward, his just due with you know being inducted in the Hall of Fame. That might not be right away, but I feel like if you look at his numbers, you can't deny you know his ability on the field, his ability to stay healthy. He's one of the true Ironmans in the NFL. A guy who literally tore his ACL or tore something in his knee, okay, had surgery and played in a football game literally days later. Please tell me another athlete that has done something at that level to be able to come back from an injury that's supposed to sideline you for nine months. I mean, that's just is a testament to the toughness that Philip Rivers brought to the table. A guy who is a legendary trash talker that never cussed. A guy that was an absolute dog on the football field. And a guy who was an Iron Man. He went out there and all he did was suit up and play games. So I think you look at all of those elements, and I think that you look at Philip Rivers and, and you, you call him Hall of Famer. Would you put him ahead of Big Ben? I, I, yeah, I mean, Big Ben won a, a couple different championships. So, I mean, as far as Big Ben's concerned, you know, like I said, you can't really take that. And I think you look at his championships and you say, okay, he probably had a little bit more to do with it than, you know, just the defense carrying. Much more than Eli. Makes some of those plays, right? So, I think that that's where it's, it's, it's tough. Um, like I said, statistically, Federer is out there with both those guys, but uh, unfortunately, you can't. Ignore the championships. It, it is something that is taken into account when you're considering the greats of the game. You know, my thing is, you know, and you'll probably disagree with this, you know, I personally wouldn't lose sleep if they kept Philip Rivers out of the Hall of Fame, but I guess my always premise in the way I've always looked at things is if you're going to put Eli in, then there's no way Philip Rivers should it be in. To me, that'd just be crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you're going to be... I, I'm more of like, make it restrictive, keep as many people out of the Hall of Fame as possible. Like that, that, sure, yeah, <laughs> I get that. that yeah, that's, make it the team, right? Yeah, like baseball. Make it like baseball, where like only one person makes it... You know, that's kind of what I'm more... Like, it limits all the speeches. I, everybody only wants to hear Peyton Manning talk when he does that, you know? So, or Ray Lewis, so I'm like... In my perfect world, that's how it would be. I think it cut out a lot of the BS. But if you're going to put Eli in, you have to put Phillip in. And then if you put Phillip in, you're going to have to put Matt Ryan in. And a lot of guys are going to be getting the Hall of Fame. But it is crazy to me about Eli. Uh, you are going to put him in. And it is crazy. The, the only explanation people have is that he won two Super Bowls, which is all fine and dandy. But, I mean, we're talking about eight games. And that's half of an NFL season. <laughs> so that's why he's a Hall of Famer? That's what I'm saying. Like I said, you know, I feel like Eli got carried a couple of times, and his stats are overwhelmingly mediocre in comparison. So, but hey, you know, he's got the hardware, he's got the Lombardi trophies, he's got the rings. So, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, for for me, Eli is a fringe guy. 
I don't I, I don't look at him and say I'm hundred percent convinced that he deserves to be in all of fame. So that's kinda how I look at it with him. Yeah. The thing one thing I will say about Eli is if he's gonna also make the Hall of Fame then for sure, Justin Tuck needs to be in the Hall of Fame. OCU Minora yeah. needs to be on the Hall of Fame. There's no way Eli can be the only person from those teams who make the Hall of Fame. No, and of course he had, uh, you know, he had Strahan as well. Uh, Strahan yeah. was an animal when, yeah. when he was playing with the Giants yeah. for them. Oh, that's true as well. Do you think the Chargers get a bad rap and honestly it's right because you're a Chargers fan because I feel like the Chargers yeah. they're usually that team that everybody kind of likes to make fun of and be like oh they have no fans <laughs> yeah how, how does that make you feel when, when you hear people say like what do you uh, think when people say that I don't really care honestly <laughs> I think it's just another thing to, to get underneath Charger fans can try to try to annoy them but you can't ignore it. You know, when they moved to, moved to L.A., they were playing in a soccer stadium that they were having trouble filling out. And so, you know, when they leave San Diego, where they were for 56 years, and they move out to L.A., and they try to establish a foothold in a city where you have to win. If you don't win championships, then you're irrelevant. That's just the fact of the matter. And the Chargers have not won any championships since they have been there. So... <laughs> They're lower on the, po- the totem pole than the L.A. Sparks are. That's just the way it is. <laughs> With Chargers, you have to win. And I think another thing that's going to change that, that kind of already started, is having a young superstar quarterback like Justin Herbert. That's going to change the hearts and minds of a lot of people and the aggressive kind of brand of football that they play. They're going to go for it on fourth down. They believe in it from the top down. It's not just the head coach. The general manager, the owner, they're all in line on the vision of being an aggressive football team, that aggressive brand, that exciting brand of football. That's what they need to do to be able to change the minds and be able to get away from that stigma of them not having any fans. But also, I will give you this. Who wouldn't want to come to L.A. to be able to enjoy watching their football team in one of the biggest media markets in the world, one of the biggest tourist destinations in the world, some of the best weather in the world. I mean, there's so much to do in Southern California. Why wouldn't you want to come visit? So I think that's one thing. It's like, hey, you're not going to Jacksonville, right? You're not <laughs> going to go there and, and feel like you're going to have a good time. But you go to L.A., there's a million different things to do. So it's a great destination for people to come watch their favorite team and be able to enjoy the other things that the market offers as well. But the one thing that's ultimately going to change everything and I'm sure you know what I'm going to say here is about the Chargers winning a Super Bowl. If they win a Super Bowl, then that will automatically change the opinions and the stigmas. And that one little bullet that everyone likes to use, oh, the Chargers have no fans. I guarantee you, they win a Super Bowl, no one ever hears anyone say that ever again. It's also interesting. Uh, the fourth down stuff, it does get a lot of hate. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about that with all the fourth down stuff? I love it. Absolutely love it, especially after the Chargers had a couple of, uh, of really, really conservative head coaches in Anthony Lynn and Mike McCoy. Both of those guys were so bland. You know, I, honestly, I, I think that first game against the Chiefs that Justin Herbert started, they punted the ball back to back to Mahomes instead of going for it and going for the win. What sense does that make? Why would you ever want to give the football back to Patrick Mahomes with an opportunity 
ones that are like, I don't know about that one. I don't feel good about it. But these decisions are not all based on the analytics. It's analytics and it's feel of the game. If if you're if you feel like that that energy that momentum is slipping away or that game is slipping away from you, then you need to do something drastic to be able to get that momentum back on your side. And I feel like there was a couple of different instances last year where the Chargers did that and it helped them win the football game. I'll bring up an example of the Cleveland Browns game. The Chargers went for it on their own side of the field. They convert that and then they end up winning a shootout against the Browns. If they don't go for it there, they lose that football game. No question about it. If they don't go for it as many many times as they did in that last game against the Raiders, they don't even come close to even having a chance to win that football game. And it really just boils down to this. The Chargers defense was not good enough last year. They knew they couldn't stop the run. So if you know the Chargers defense is 28th in the league, but you know you have a top five offense, who are you going to want to give the football to? Who are you going to want to trust more with the ability to keep trying to win a game? You're going to give that ball to Justin Herbert and say, go out there and go convert. And that's what the Chargers did. How sold are you on Brandon Staley as their coach of the future? Justin Herbert be better than Philip Rivers? Yes, 100%. I think he's better than Philip Rivers now. Okay. Uh, just just with, it, with his ability to run, his, his ability to make any throw on the football field. <laughs> I think Philip Rivers was really good at dissecting defenses, but that also came with a lot of, of time and obviously a lot of uh, games under his belt. But you're talking about raw physical ability. I will say this right now. I have full confidence 
that Justin Herbert is going to, to get a championship, to get a Super Bowl for the Chargers, and that's one thing that Philip Rivers, unfortunately, was never able to do. David, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Dude, hey, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate being a guest uh, on your show, and, and you know, if we ever have a situation where I need to come back on, feel free to hit me up, man. Take care. And once again, I want to thank David for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 475th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.